What is going on, Almost Canon listeners? It's me, your host, Nicholas Willard, and I am here tonight with a guest co-host. His name's Ethan. He was on episode 23, where he talked about seeing some shadow figures uh, as a child. Real creepy story. Um, But yeah, he's here tonight, and we're going to talk about some lost treasure, maybe, uh, magical relic, maybe. I don't know. We'll figure it out as we go, but how's it going, Ethan? It's awesome to be here, bud. Good. Having a little technical difficulties tonight. We've gone mobile. We are in hopefully what is to be my new house. Um, the Willard Mansion. Oh, yeah. The Willard Mansion. Um, but, yeah. So let's get into it. I got some, I got some news to go over. There's actually there was some crazy shit that went down this week. I don't know if you heard about it. No wait, what? Okay, uh, I was gonna mention some movies, but we'll talk about that in a second. The crazy shit that went down this week. So there was this dude. Uh, here, I'll just I'll just read what I got on my phone. All right. Yeah. So Leslie Keen. And Ralph Blumenthal, they're these two authors, uh, journalists, I guess you could say. Um, they've released an article for this website called The Debrief. Um, and they allege that a former intelligence official turned whistleblower has given Congress and the uh, intelligence community extensive classified information about deeply covert programs that he says possess retrieved intact and partially intact craft from non-human origins so they got a spacecraft supposedly this guy's saying it he came out and said it he is uh let's see i got it down right here his name is david charles grunch he's 36 years old and he's a decorated former combat official from afghanistan and he's a veteran of the national geospatial intelligence agency the nga and the national reconnaissance office NRO. He serves as the representative to the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. So those are UAPs, that's what they call them now. Right on, yeah. Um, And he did that from 2019 to 2021. And from late 2021 to July of 2022, he was the NGA's co-lead for UAP analysis and it's representative to the task force. So this guy, he was up there. He was in some crazy government uh, agencies. And he's, he's, he recently quit. And he's came out and said that they got crashed UFOs. Yeah, well, we've had these since, what, the 60s? Come on, man. Well, I mean, this guy's like officially. like I think the last was you know, we had Area 51 where they said yeah. that, oh, we recovered a... A flying saucer, but then they said it was a hot air balloon, so... Yeah, well, Groom Lake, sure. Yeah, right on. I mean, but and this guy... Tonopana and all of those Air yeah, Force bases yeah. throughout the <laughs> West, you know. Uh, yeah. I've... This guy's officially said it. I don't know if anyone else has really ever officially came out. There, you know, there's been stories, but... And there was one other pretty weird thing. I, I didn't write it down, but uh, I kind of remember. It was like a... There was this lady, this nurse, and something weird had been happening at her house in British Columbia. So she put a game camera out, right? Yeah. 
Have you seen this? Did you see the pictures of this? Not necessarily. Those witch people? They called them witches. No. They're these two girls or something. They were, they were naked. Or one of them had like a loincloth on. And then I think one of the pictures, there was a dude standing behind them with, with like, look like, like military pants on, uh, like cargo pants. Um, but they were like eating this dead deer off the ground. Like there was a dead deer and the lady had put the camera up watching the deer, right? Yeah. And then in the middle of the night, these these girls, I couldn't tell, a lot of things will say that it was two of them, but I think it was one in this dude with the clothes on, and they were, like, eating this dead deer, so, I don't know. The little people, you know? No, they were normal size. Like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, over three foot tall is what you're saying? Yeah, like, no way. People. Wow. It was, it was weird. But, uh, what else do I got? I also got this little article that I picked up, um... It was a new. It was a reel that I saw on Facebook, and then I, I kind of looked into it. And they were their killer whales have been randomly attacking boats off the coast of Spain and Portugal uh, for like two years now. They don't know why. And this reel that I watched, this video, it showed one of the boats. And these killer whales. There were two of them. They were just like ramming this sailboat over and over again. And they rammed it so many times that they put a hole in it. Wow. Yeah. Like that. I just thought that was that was strange. Um, cause you know, usually they don't do that kind of stuff. Well, but. maybe it's that time of the month. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, the last thing I wanted to mention, um, was Silence of the Lambs. We had talked about this earlier and then we had some technical difficulties, but I'm telling you, man, this movie was awesome and I was obsessed with it. I've never seen it until last week. Yeah. It was great. Well, quid pro quo, Clarice. <laughs> It's a great movie. I've seen it a million times. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard what a what a uh, a crying lamb sounds like? Shit, my YouTube app's gone. I can't. Have you ever heard what a crying lamb sounds like? No, negative. <laughs> All right, you got to check this out because you know in the movie she tells Lecter about these horrible sounds she was hearing. And that's where the title of the movie comes from, and how that they were lambs uh, at the farmhouse she went to le- live in, and they were making this horrible noise, and it scared her, and and all this. So, have you you haven't heard what a crying lamb sounds Negative. like? Negative. No. <laughs> all right. <laughs> that's a lamb. I'm dead serious. I've watched so many videos. They all sound very similar to that. So yeah, if I heard that, I'd 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 be scared too. They were slaughtering the lambs. <laughs> yeah. So uh but yeah. Oh yeah, and that movie Outbreak, that that really kind of creeped me out too. Um So yeah, let's get into um let's get into our main topic for this evening right after a word from our sponsors. All right, guys. We all know how shitty it is when we are listening to a podcast and the host comes on and they're like, oh, like and subscribe and rate and review, blah, 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 blah. You know, nobody wants to hear that crap. But I'm telling you right now, it is so very important. We here at Almost Canon, we really need you to rate and review the show. Um, the way the system works, particularly iTunes, is most important. 
So if you can get on to iTunes to rate the show, that'd be great. But really, any any podcast app that, that you listen to. Um, and recently, we have also started a bonus, you know, like a Patreon. It's not through Patreon. It's through Acast, but it's like Patreon. So you can join the Almost Canon family. I think there's a couple tiers. There's like a $2 tier, $5 tier, and $8 tier. Uh, the $2 tier, you know, you get some bonus content, but with the $5 and $8 tiers, you get one bonus episode per month, along with ad-free listening and, you know, stuff like that. And we do have a bonus episode up so far. Uh, and I will be reviewing... I don't know if this is going to be the next bonus episode, but it will be a bonus episode coming up. I'm going to be reviewing Jaws with Ben. He is coming back for this episode. Uh, so like and subscribe. Join the family and listen to some bonus content because we all know that's what we want. All right. Let's get back to the show. So what are we talking about tonight? Well, the Spear of Destiny. Yeah, the yeah. Spear of Destiny. That's a cool name, first it of all. It is a wicked cool name. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Spear of Destiny. So I got this quote. It's from the Gospel of John, 1934. And it goes, One of the soldiers pierced his side with a lance, and immediately there came out blood and water. So what is the Spear of Destiny? Well, it's essentially the spear that stabbed the side of Christ to make sure that he was deceased, you know. And uh, right, did you? I I kind of went, I kind of looked into why they would do that, and it's actually pretty interesting. All right, so so Jewish people of this time, uh, you know, when when Christ was was crucified, I guess they would call it. I almost called it crucifixed, but when he was crucified, uh, I guess it was right up between it was like it was good friday or something right and the what, what do they call it uh the sabbath was the next day and according to jewish law at the time you know you, you couldn't bury anyone on that day so they wanted to like we gotta make we gotta make sure he's dead right so what they were gonna do and this is pretty gross but there's actually a name for it they were gonna break his legs because when you're on the cross when you're crucified uh, you don't, you don't, you know, you die of suffocation is what really kills you. You know, all your organs kind of slip down. And it makes it hard to breathe, and you can hold yourself up, kind of by your legs. You can kind of push yourself up, right? So what they would do um, to hurry the deaths along, and it's got a, it's got a crazy name. Uh, it is. I'm horrible at this. So, crurifragium. And it's it's this process. It's it's made up of the Latin words uh, "crust" meaning legs, and "fragnium" meaning fracture. So what they do is they would take I don't know some sort of something and they would beat your legs with it until they broke, so you couldn't use them to hold yourself up anymore. And it would you know you would die, and it would usually produce a death, I guess, within several minutes. I can only imagine. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, this was the thing, and they were gonna do that, and alongside. Jesus, there was uh, Gestus, I think was his name, who was a thief, and Dismas was another thief, and they were on either side of him, or in, in some sort of order. I, I, from what I read, it sounded like they were the two thieves and then Jesus, so Jesus wasn't in the middle, but 
So what, what they did was they broke the legs of the thieves first. And then in order to find out if Jesus was dead, they were like, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this. You know, so they this they convinced this Roman soldier to, to you know, spear him in the side. Right. You know, and so part of the, I would say, mythos of that was that from what I've seen or, or read is that the actual Roman legionnaire that speared his side was a blind man. And he had recently, you know, uh, you know became a Christian. And when the blood spattered down from Christ's side, it fell on his face. And when he opened his eyes, he could see again. Now that's. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I read too. Um, I think he was later. So at the time, I guess nobody, they didn't know what his name was, but in the fourth century through the gospel of Nicodemus, uh, the centurion, which was, you know, he was a Roman soldier. They called him centurions. His name was Long. There's a couple ways to pronounce it. I, I like Longinus, but. Yeah, Longinus, yeah. Longinus, or Long, I like Longinus. It sounds better. And I've heard it pronounced that way several times, so. That's correct. So, yeah. He speared Jesus, and the, the blood and the water came out, splashed him in the face, and he was, like, cured. And apparently, I actually heard this from someone, when you're crucified, and you suffocate, your lungs fill up with water, which is why the water could have came out of him. So it wasn't necessarily a miracle type thing. It was actually like a physical, uh, re- I guess, reaction to the the crucifixion. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's true. So <laughs> I just Neither heard it from I. someone. <laughs> <laughs> so it could have been a miracle. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, this puncture... Caused by the lance is known to be the fifth and the last of the holy wounds. And these were a collection of wounds received while he was on the cross. And the other ones would include like the four nail yeah. uh, marks. Are you are you religious in any way? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say a congregationalist. Yeah, I was baptized. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> um, I've been to Sunday school. <laughs> I'm definitely interested in religion. Uh, I've had the, I don't know if you've heard the or you've probably heard it the Tyler this kid Tyler I know he's came on a couple of times he's like very religious right um, and religion it definitely interests me the whole the whole story of Christ and just these Abrahamic religions to get, you know in general the whole every everything behind them is just so fascinating the Bible everything that's in there it's just like if this stuff's real. Some crazy shit went down, you know, however many thousands of years that was. 4,000 years, maybe. How far back does the Bible go? Because it was, it was written before Christ, you uh, know, the Old Testament. Right, the Old Testament was, yeah. So, however far back that goes. And, I mean, it covers a lot, like Noah, Noah's Ark, obviously. and Oh, yeah, the, the, the beginning of the world, you know. Right. In Genesis. And there's a lot of books that aren't covered under the Bible that are pretty cool too. Like, um, was it the Book of Enoch? Have you ever yeah. heard of that one? Yeah. There's some crazy stuff in that one. It's probably why it's not canonized. It's we, <laughs> right. Not necessarily it's, where we get the well, name from, but it's probably not acceptable. You know. Yeah. Yeah. They like a lot of people take out of that one from uh, they they take out of the Book of Enoch the stories of the. Um, 
you know what they're called? The Giants? Yes, yeah. Or, what are they? The Nephilim. The Nephilim, yeah. yeah. A lot of people yeah. get that out of there. Which were the, what, what, the fallen angels, you know? They were yeah. cast down from heaven. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting in itself, too, because I definitely believe that there were giants at one point. I don't know. If, have, you, have you looked into any of that stuff? Just off know. topic really quick. Well, a lot of podcasts, yeah, on that, man. With, like, the giant right here across the river of this town where they built the railroad station. Yeah. They were, when they blasted all the rocks, they uncovered a, a Native American burial ground. Um, and inside the burial ground, they found a giant skeleton Double rows of teeth, and these two guys—they're the the uh, the Vieira brothers. Have you ever heard of them? No. They haven't been around a lot lately, but a couple years ago they were really hot on this topic. They traced the body from Bell's Falls to somewhere, some town in Connecticut, where they found a house in the basement with the bot. You know, the doctor supposedly brought this giant skeleton, and in the basement there was a like this little. At some point, they had dug out this little part of the basement where it was just long enough to fit this body into. But when they, you know, when they opened it up, it was empty. It had been bricked, you know, someone had bricked over it, but there wasn't anything in there. Crazy. But yeah, they found a skeleton here in town. Yeah, the Nephilim, you know. Could be. I, I tend to to feel like it's related. All right, back to the Spear of Destiny. So yeah, he's got these five uh, holy wounds. The fifth one was caused by the spear. Uh, and the spear then becomes a holy relic, practically blessed in the blood of Christ. You know, um, and it was it was said to grant victory and you know mystical powers is what I read. I couldn't really find what these powers were, other than like these people who who end up through history who. Hold the spear seem to like, you know, they're unstoppable. They're they're conquerors, right? Um, so yeah, they they get these mystical powers to whoever bears the the spear. And and I also read this that they that they hold the fate of the world within their hands, you know, whether for good or for evil. But I don't really necessarily know what that what that means or how how that would come into play. Yeah, I wouldn't even know how to chime in on that one. You know, it's. The official story of the spear. This is what I got. Let's see if it jives with what you got. Uh, so the spear would disappear from the historical record until the late, you know, 500s, the late 6th century, um, along with the crown of thorns. And they, you know, scholars believe this because apparently there was this pilgrim who visited the basilica of mount zion in jerusalem and he recorded that he had seen these these relics really um however it's believed that the spear and the crown of thorns and a couple of these relics could have been found as early as 328 and have just kind of been like overlooked maybe in some cases because there are Officially, there are three separate spears who who are in the running to be, you know, one of these could be the real ones. Um, and one of those three spears goes directly off of this 328 history. But as the other two, I don't know, we'll get into it. It gets kind of confusing. 
So yeah, 328, and I got a quick quick history lesson about what happens around this time. Uh, all right, so during the third century, Rome was suffering all sorts of hardships. You know, this include like famine and sickness and hordes of invading barbarians that were just clashing at their borders. Um, and there were many civil wars being fought within Rome itself, ah. right? Um, and by these leaders and generals, and they were they were known as as barrack emperors because they were you know they were generals of these armies, and they would kind of become their own emperor, and they would order you know let's go take out this general, you know, and we'll take right. over his army. Um, on the eve of his voluntary retirement in 306 A.D. Emperor Diocletian would split the Roman uh, world in half, and this would create an east and a west, and he would appoint co-emperors as well as top officials, given the, and he would, you know, he'd give these top officials the title of Augusti and Caesars, and these, these, these top officials would help delegate Roman law between these, these other, uh, the, the emperor of the east and the emperor of the west, um, and this time in, in history is known as the, the Roman Tetrarchy. Uh, one of these top officials was Flav- Flavius Constinius, and he was a Caesar who would be killed while fighting against the clans of northern Scotland, otherwise known as the Picts. His name was what? Flavor Flav, you said? Flavor Flav Constinius. <laughs> Flavor Flav! That's that's what he called out before every battle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and Constinius's son was Constantine. So yeah, this this Constinius, he was a Caesar, and he was killed while while he was fighting these these pick, picked armies. Uh, and so Constantine, and he was then declared Augustus by his father's army, which pretty much gave him a claim to the throne of Rome. And so for the next several years, Constantine marched his way across the Roman Empire, collecting allies and, you know, defeating rivals, right? Yeah. Uh, In 312, Constantine found himself going head-to-head with his rival from the West, uh, Maxtenius. These guys have crazy fucking names. Um, Their armies met near the Milvane Bridge. This is a a pretty important battle through the course of history. Have you heard of it? No, man. So this this was like turning point in history, pretty much. Uh, their armies met near the the Milvanian Bridge, and Maxtenius would end up falling into the Tiber and drowning. So he, he ended up drowning. Yeah. you know, he died. Uh, and with the death of of Maxtenius, Constantine would would become the sole ruler of Rome. So you know, these guys. He he was the emperor of the West. Constantine was, you know, the east, and now Constantine is officially the, the sole ruler. Uh, but before this battle at the bridge, you know, the day before, he prayed for success and received a vision as well as a message. Constantine would see a cross in the sky and hear the words, in this sign, conquer. Uh, and Constantine would credit this his victory to the Christian God um, and would event- eventually Christianize all of Rome. So, in 326, Constantine would send... So, this was like... That took place in 312. So, 326, you know, uh, over a decade later, Constantine would send his mother, Helena, 
to Palestine. So this would be the area of of modern day um, Israel and Jerusalem, right? Essentially, and her he he sent her to this you know the Holy Land, we'll call it you know to recover any and all Christian relics that she could find. And Helena knew that a previous emperor of Rome, Hadrian, he had constructed this huge temple to, to Venus, you know, the Roman god, over the site of Jesus' Jesus's tomb, and she had that temple demolished. And while they were digging through the rubble, she would make a shocking discovery. She would recover three crosses from underneath this temple of Venus, uh, and evidence would soon point to those being of Jesus, Gestus, and Dismas. Um, so Constantine's mom, she wanted proof, Helena, she wanted proof that absolute proof that this, you know, one of these is Jesus's cross. And so what she did, did you read about this at all? Oh no. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And supposedly she found the nails and, uh, yeah, right. What have you, you know, did you, with the crosses, did you see what happened with them? I don't, I don't know no. what they did with the cross themselves. So no. apparently she, she had this woman who was close to death. Like she was dying of some sickness or something. She had her lay down on each cross, and when she got to Jesus's cross, the the sickness like immediately left, and she was like brought back to to life, you know. So they were like, "Oh, that's the cross. We'll take that one." Um, but yeah, and that that is where they, you know, they would find the nails from the crucifixion, as well as Jesus's tunic, apparently. Uh, and so, some sources that I read said. She could have even found the crown of thorns and the lance, the spear of destiny, but just kind of overlooked them. Like she wasn't quite sure what these were, but she could have gathered them or left them. It's kind of unknown. And, and yeah, that's kind of what they say. And that's the story that goes along with that. Yeah. Right. Um, Saint Antonius of, I am so bad at pronouncing <laughs> names, like places and Don't towns. And it, God, man. this is right. Like, all right. Saint Antonius of, Piencenzia, what I just said sounds nothing like what it looks like, but I'm just going to go with it. Uh, he tells us in 570, the crown of thorns with which our Lord was crowned and the lance with which he was struck in the side could be seen uh, within the Basilica of Mount Zion in Jerusalem. A Christian statesman by the name of Cassiodorus and a bishop from Tours, which is like a city in France, known as Gregory of Tours, also reported seeing the spear within this basilica of Mount Zion. So like this Gregory of Tours uh, and this Christian statesman and this Saint Antonius, they all said they have seen the spear, but apparently the first time the spear was actually ever recorded, if that makes sense, was in 615. And the head of the spear, of the lance, so they, they call it, some people call it a spear, a lance, kind of the same thing you know uh, the head of the lance which had been broken off from the, the shaft was said to have been brought to the church of Hagia Sophia in Constantinople before the sacking of Jerusalem by King Cherosis II of Persia suggesting that the spear was held within Jerusalem until this time so pretty much Constantine sent his mom in the 300s you know, to find all these holy relics, and she could have found the spear, but it, you know, it's not known. She didn't mention finding the spear, but she might have, and just taken it with her back to uh, Constantinople, or she could have left it. 
you know. And what these guys are saying, uh, there's Gregory of Tours, St. Antonius, and the Christian statesman Cassiodorus. What they're saying is Helena, Constantine's mom, didn't take the spear and that the spear had been left in Jerusalem. And, it, you know, they're officially recording it. They said that they have seen it in the, in the 570s, around the 570s. But it was officially recorded within the history books in 615 when it was removed from Jerusalem and brought to Constantinople. So if you can follow all that, now we're going to get into some more confusing stuff. So there are three major spheres, and you know all their stories kind of diverge from this point. So which one do you want to talk about first? I only know of the one that oh, they yeah, had in right. Vienna. <laughs> I didn't know of the other two. All right, so the Vatican Spear, we can get through this one really quick. Then we'll get into the cool stuff after we get all this history out of the way. The Vatican Lance. Um, so the Persians in the, you know, the, the early 600s, the Persians, they had came into Jerusalem, you know, and kind of sacked the city. They took over. Uh, and when they did that, the, his name was King Cherosis II, you know, the Persian king, he kind of takes control of everything that's in Jerusalem. And he gets all these Christian relics, right? And he, he kind of like uh, sells them off or, you know, use them as buying chips to all these different people. And it said he had sold the spear to Louis the Ninth of France, where it was enshrined within the, the sink, sink. There's some more French. Uh, Sainte Chapelet. Is that, is that good? Uh, almost Italian. But. <laughs> Until the French Revolution. Uh, as for the lance itself, and that was just the head. So at one point, the head was broken from the, you know, the shaft of the spear. As for the lance shaft, it was said to be held within the Church of the Holy Sepulchre uh, after the fall of Jerusalem in 615 and around the 8th century passed on to it was then like transported to Constantinople. Uh, it's recorded to have fallen into the hands of the Turks in 1492 uh, when the Turks took over Constantinople. Like this history is just crazy. Um, and it was then gifted to Pope Innocent VIII as a bargaining chip by Sultan Baez II to keep uh, kind of his political rival who was also his brother so the you know the Christians they had they had imprisoned this guy right, and so the the Sultan of the Turks he kind of gives them this Christian relic you know, and just keep them in jail you know, so he gives them this Christian relic, uh, and in the 18th century Pope Benedict the 14th states that the lance head and the the shaft they fit perfectly together, and that the two originally formed one object. But the, lan the lance has never left Rome, and they have never officially recognized it as the official, you know, spear of destiny. So, yeah. So it's sitting in some Vatican vault somewhere, right, you know, where much. we'll never see it. Probably. Yeah, I didn't look to see where it, where it was or not. But um, So then we got the, the Vienna lance. This is the one that you looked into, right? Yeah. I'll go over it, what I got, and then you can tell me if I'm wrong. Uh so today, the Hofburg Palace in Vienna also claims to have the Holy Lance on display in the the worldly treasure room. 
It's a pretty cool room. With a lot of other, yeah, you know, holy <laughs> relics. Right. You know. um, and so this this would be the domain of the Holy Roman Empire. And it's kind of, you know, it's confusing between the Holy Roman Empire uh, and then what was Rome at the time and then the Vatican, you know, it's kind of confused. They're, they're different and it, it gets confusing. So really, a quick history lesson, you know, the Catholic Church and the Holy Empire and, you know, which would include the Holy Roman Emperors, uh, while technically working together as like, you know, one unified religious organization, I guess you could say, they often butted heads and contradicted one another. Um, and even though the Holy Roman Empire sounds like it would be somewhere at least in Rome or around Rome, it was, it was actually in what you could consider, you know, parts of France and Germany and Austria in that whole area. So that would be the Holy right. Roman Empire. Um, nowhere near Rome, which is confusing in itself. Uh, so yeah, and, and this is this is this is where it also gets quite confusing if you're going to go through the history books to figure out who may have had the spear. What I got is and somewhere around 1085 Henry the 4th Oh no, this is not what I have. I skipped some. I think I deleted something here. Oh, right here. So the Holy Roman Empire apparently claimed to have acquired the lance head sometime around the reign of Otto the First, which would have been, you know, around the one thousands, I believe, maybe a little bit before. Um, And he would end up, you know, they would pass it down the line of his family, obviously, to Henry the Fourth. who had Henry the Fourth had a, a silver patch installed below the head's base with the inscription "Nail of Our Lord" added, and that was around 1085. Um, and then it passes down. He passes it at some point down the line through the family. The next person who pops up is Charles the Fourth, who has a golden sleeve slipped over the silver one, with the inscription "Lance and Nail of Our Lord" inscribed on the sleeve. So apparently they had uh, one of the nails from the cross. So they had the head of the the spear, the original head, right at the top, and then where it connected to the shaft, they had they had put one of these nails that supposedly was from the crucifixion. Yeah. Into the spear, you know. Yeah, dead center. Yeah, of right. the spearhead, and they wrapped it with twenty feet of silver wire, which was hand drawn. Right. You know, back in that day. Can you imagine doing that? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, they did some. And you, have you seen pictures of it? I think I saw. Oh pictures yeah, of it. It, plenty it of looks pictures. So crazy. Um, and then in so Charles the Fourth, he has this golden sleeve slipped over, and the next uh, time it really pops up in history is in 1428 with Emperor Sig Sigmund. Uh, he has this collection of relics. Um, and he calls it the Imperial Regalia, which would include the spear. And this is transported from his capital uh, to the city of his birth, which was Nuremberg, um, where he declared they would remain, you know, for all time. Uh, and then in 1796, uh, 
as the French Republican armies, they're, they're moving again. This is before Napoleon, during the French Revolution. So these, these French armies, they want to take back some land, you know, that was kind of like taken over by, by you know, you know uh, Austria and Germany. Yep, the Prussians and Germany, right. yeah, yeah. So they want to take some of this land back. So they've marched these armies up there. And, and Napoleon, he led one of these armies. Um, so they're moving against Austria. Uh, these these armies hope to surround Vienna, Vienna and force the Holy Roman Empire into signing uh, French territorial agreements in what would be called the Rhine Campaign of the French Revolution. Um, and as the French Republican armies near Nuremberg in the spring, city officials decide to move the imperial regalia, which includes the Holy Spear, the Holy Lance, to Vienna, where they were entrusted to this guy named Baron von Hugel where they were eventually sold to the Habsburg family, kind of on accident, sort of, right? Um, and after the fall of the Holy Roman Empire, the spear, along with the rest of the imperial regalia, kind of remained on display in Vienna. And uh, I think, like, the officials of of Austria tried to buy them back from the Habsburg family, but they're like, no, these are ours now, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then during World War II, the Nazis, they, like, Hitler was like, he wanted this. This was like, some people say he even started the war to get this. I read that in several places. Well, he wanted every holy uh, relic that he could find, you know. He, he really believed in them. He thought that they would bring him success. and Right. You know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's got these, these uh so he's got the the imperial regalia, and he he separates the lance as well as four other really important items that were you know within this imperial regalia. I didn't I didn't look up to see what these other four relics were, but he separates them and he hides them you know in a separate area. Right? Did you did you read about this? No, no, it's, I didn't hear that part. Quite of Quite interesting, no. and it's very like weird. So he hides these these five relics separate, right? Um. And let's see how I can put this. So he he hides them, and he hides them 80, 80 feet below the the Panier Platz bunker. It's like this major bunker. Um, and he kind of puts them behind a false wall where they hope to, you know, use them as a rallying symbol later on. Uh, and they were discovered by this guy named Walter Horn. He was a member of the Monuments Men. Yeah. Um, on April 30th, 1945. 1945? Yeah. And was that after the death of Hitler? It was the same day, hours after they had found the spear, Hitler committed suicide. Whoa. Right. That's weird, right? Crazy. It's so... I find that very, very strange. So you just rant. They find... You know, this this Walter Horn guy, he he interrogated several people. I don't think Hitler would have known that they had found the the spear because there's this myth that... And I, I believe it. It's even started with Charlemagne, which we'll get into later. Where if you drop the spear, you lose the spear, you die. Yeah, you lose right? your power. Yeah. So, like, you know, hours after you know, the Allies recover the spear, Hitler commits suicide. He dies, um, and then possession of the spear kind of falls under George Patton. You know, it goes into his possession, and then he would have to, you know, hand it off to. I don't, I don't even know who, you know, 
the UN, the UN didn't exist at this time, but I don't know, the head of the Allies, I guess. Right. Uh, and then George Patton would die uh, in a yeah. car accident. In a car accident. How mysterious is that? Huh. I mean, it's kind of fishy. But, you know, who knows? Maybe, how many people die in a car accident? So, it could be coincidence. That one kind of sounds more like coincidence to me, but the Hitler one is like, that's really on the nose. Well, there's some wicked good books out there on about Patton's death, you know, and, and you know, you could say it's conspiratorial in, in some ways. So, oh, it's, right? it's quite interesting. I, yeah. I didn't know that. I'm sure you could, though. I I no doubt in my mind that. People would have wanted him dead. Well, he he wanted to, you know, take on the Russians, you know, from that point on. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that point, we were allies, though. We were, right. you know, in testy waters, you know. Yeah. I mean, they, I do know that they knew they were going to war. Oh, yeah. Even before they, even while they were, we were still allies, they still knew that. Oh, absolutely. The Cold War was going to happen. Oh, definitely. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be the Vienna Spear. And it's still on display, like I said. In the the whole the worldly treasure room, you can go and see it. It's owned by the Habsburgs, this royal rich family that goes way back in time. Uh, and then we have the Armenian spear. And this one, I personally think this could be the one. This one could be oh, the. Oh man, one. I can't wait to freaking hear about it. You know, it, it, there's not a lot on it either, but it's almost like this is this has to be it. Um, so Armenia, it's. I think it's by Iran, sort of. It's kind of in that area. Yeah. Um, so they have this this spearhead. It's you know just like the the history tell us the spear was broken from the shaft. The head the spearhead was broken from the shaft. So they have the head of the spear on display. It was first mentioned in the 13th century, which you know that's that's a thousand years after 1300 years after Christ's death. That's a long time, oh, but yeah. still, just because it wasn't mentioned until then doesn't mean that it can't be. Because there's some real, what I would, what I would say, uh, I guess it'd be circumstantial evidence that that this is the one. But this one, I'll, we'll get into it. Um, so yeah, first mentioned in this 13th century text called the Holy Relics of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this manuscript tells of the Apostle Judas, not not the bad one, the good one. Um, I think they would also call him St. Jude or Thaddeus. I think Thaddeus was like his middle name or last name, his surname. And because of, of Judas selling out Christ, he kind of went by his surname Thaddeus. Right, because, wanted, yeah, you didn't want to be, you know, with Judas Iscariot. You right, know. right. Um, so, yeah, this, this I'm, I'm going to call him uh, Jude probably. It's just easier. So this... This manuscript tells of Jude bringing the spear to Armenia. So, so Jude was killed in a 65 AD via martyrdom uh, in Beirut, Syria. So, if he was to bring the lance to Armenia, it would have happened had to have happened before then, obviously. Right. Uh, a passage within the hagiography titled, which in a hagiography is kind of like a biography of a saint i don't know why they call it something weird like I that but, <laughs> but yeah it's it's the biography of a saint uh so this this biography is titled the story of the apostle saint thaddeus and the virgin oh jesus no it's not jesus <laughs> and the virgin sanductate 
Um, and that reads, St. Peter, the rock of faith, who was the head of the holy apost- apostles, gave to Thaddeus the lance which had pierced God as a tool to help and support the preaching of, of the apostle. Uh, and he, which would be uh, Jude or Thaddeus, taking the lance which had pierced God, came to the city of, of Ura, which would we would know that as Edessa today. Edessa, not Odessa. Um, so Odessa is in Ukraine. The city of Edessa to Abgar, the king of the Armenians and the Syrians. Um, so that that was just, you know, within this story that they have and that they, you know, have on display as well. However, the earliest mention of Jude in the Holy Lands go back to the, like I said, the 13th century. Um, something in me tells me that that's the one, like... It seems to make sense, you know, if you've read the Bible, you know, I mean, the latter part of the Bible is based off Peter and what have you, and and I don't know how far I got into that, but right. uh, it, it very well could be the case, you know. I know, when I think of it, I think, like, so you have you have all this stuff go down, and I don't even know what year, what was it, year one? Like, yeah, roughly, <laughs> you, you know, know, if you think about it, and the, and, and the, the years that followed, you know, I mean... Not decades, but years. Right. So you have this go down in, in year one. Christ is crucified and he dies. So it, if you were to have the spear, it would be right then and there. You know, you're within weeks or months or, you know, you're not going to. I feel like finding the spear 300 years later, like uh, uh, Constantine's mother was kind of like, yeah, maybe. But if you were to have the spear, it would be then. And if you were to bring it then. To Armenia, that just makes more sense. To me. Absolutely, I agree. Right. Um, so yeah, that's the Armenian spear. There's not a lot about it at all. That's pretty much it. But it, it's also weird that the first mention of the spear is in the 13th century. You think if they had it, it, there would be writings going, you know, talking about it going back until that time. Right. And you know, I think that the Vienna spear, you know, uh, or spear of destiny, has kind of been debunked for the most part. Right. They've done a lot of uh, uh, work into that to to prove it that it doesn't fit the period. Right. The Vienna spear. We'll get into that right now. Has a, a long history of some very important people uh, carrying the spear into battle. And we'll get into that. Right. I just have one more quick mention that seems to pop up a lot about the spear. That's a Peter Bartholomew in the Siege of Antioch. Did you see anything about no. this? So within the First Crusade, uh, a monk named Peter Bartholomew, he, he says he has this, this vision of St. Andrew. So he has this vision, and St. Andrew tells him that the lance is held within the church of St. Peter. Right? So yeah. he, this Peter Bartholomew guy, he's a monk. He's fighting in the, the First Crusades. He's like, the lance is here. So, you know, they obviously know about the, the stories of this, this spear destiny going back. You know, we've, we've been over it. And he's like, it's here. Let's go find it. People are like, no, I don't think so. But then eventually they kind of take this, this small detachment of men. They go to the, the church and they're digging around the rubble. And Peter, he's like, it's right here. And he lifts up this, this spearhead. And they're like, oh, my God, that's the spear. And a lot of, a lot of these crusaders... They rally around this. Uh, and this, and at this time, Antioch is the city. It's been, it's under siege. You know, the Crusaders, they're losing. 
the Crusaders from Europe, they're losing, they're stuck within the city, they can't break out. And they kind of rally around this spear and they end up defeating, you know, the Muslim invaders and they break their way out and they use the spear as a rallying point. But then it's pretty much debunked, you know, within a hundred years. They're like, you just made that up. It's not real. So it was never really a contender to be the real spear. People say he just kind of found one and was like, or he knew one was already there, and he was like, that's it, and he kind of used it. And maybe they just had needed a little extra courage, you know? Right. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's it's cool how they used it as yeah. a rallying point to bust through. So, yeah. I want to kind of go over some of these, these famous rulers who have, who have held this spear and used it throughout history. Uh, and the first one we really have is, is Constantine the Great, who, you know, whose mother could have found the spear in the, you know, between 326 and 327 when... AD when, when you know when he sent her to go find these holy relics um, and that would be you know obviously unless Jude had already taken it right which I tend to want to believe that he did but uh so then the next one I have is Theodosius he was an emperor of Rome from 379 to 395 and he was seen as a champion of Christianity as well you know Constantine he Christianized all of Rome and Theodosius who who kind of came almost directly after him. There was, there was one uh, emperor in between them. So this Theodosius guy, he was also a champion of Christianity, and he helped establish the Creed of Nicaea. Which we kind of went over this in our Christmas episode where he talked about St. Nick, who was one of the saints who went to Nicaea. There was this whole argument between is Christ, should Christ be seen as God himself, or should He'd just be seen as a man. You know, it's like this whole thing between uh, Arianism, which is, it's not like Nazi Arianism. It's a whole different thing. It was like this guy whose name was Arian, and he came up with this, he kind of wanted Christianity to go his way. And they called it Arianism, or then they had, I, I, don't, I don't know what it's called, but what we know Christianity to be today. Today, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Theodosius was there, and, and he might have actually seen St. Nick. Um, but he supposedly used the, the spear to fight back the Goths, and he was the last emperor to pretty much unite all of Rome. Um, then we have Alaric, who was a, a barbarian king. And he actually worked for Theodosius for several years, kind of as like an enforcer. And then when Theodosius had died... He kind of went back to his barbarian ways, and he became king of the Visigoths. Um, and he could have, when Theodosius died, it, it kind of sent, you know, everything was all crazy and hectic. And he could have, if Theodosius had the spear, he could have taken it right then and there. Um, so, Alaric, whether he took the spear then, or he ended up getting the spear soon after... In 410, Alaric would sack Rome. Um, that was kind of when Rome pretty much fell. You know, the barbarians, they invaded Rome. They sacked it. They For three days, they ran wild within the streets of Rome, just destroying and taking whatever they wanted. Um, you know, like raping and pillaging. and it, it would have been a crazy time. So he either had the spear before he did that, which would, you know, gave him the victory, or... He found the spear while sacking Rome. Then from him, from Alaric, who died soon, you know, he died soon after sack Rome in 410. I think he was dead within a couple years. 
um, which would follow, you know, the, the mythos of the spear, which he loses it, he would die. Um, I didn't really get a whole lot on his death or anything, but that would bring the next one I got would be Justinian, who was a Byzantine emperor, which is pretty much like Rome was sacked. It was the, the east and the west, and then it was sacked by Alaric, and it fell. And then the Byzantine Empire is kind of Rome, but smaller. And I think they were in the east. I don't know. I, it was one of them. But yeah. they, were, they, were, they were pretty much like Constantinople was like their capital. It was their Rome. Um, so yeah, this Justinian, he would... I don't, I don't know what his claim to the spear is, but uh, he pretty much regained a lot of lost Roman land throughout North, North Africa. He, he, he got all of Italy back. Um, he, and he also built the, well, he didn't build it, but he, he had people build the, the Church of Hagia Sophia, which is considered one of the world's greatest feats of architecture. Um, which is where the spear was said to be housed, you know, in six six fifteen. Uh, so, if the spear was said to be there in six fifteen, he probably had it. Let me go back here. This is blah blah blah. Because at one point I said something that they brought the spear to Constantinople for the first time. The actual spear is mentioned in six fifteen. The head of the lance. So yeah, so before this, the spear was said to be in Jer Jerusalem, but it was first mentioned in 615 being in uh, Constantinople. So this is why it's all kind of like, it's just like... Well, it's confusing, three separate right. spears, you know. Um, so yeah, Justinian. And then I got this guy named Charles Martel. Have you ever heard of him? I had never heard no, of him. No, you just mentioned him earlier on before the show. This guy is a badass, like... He is nuts. We could do a whole episode on this dude. He, he was kind of like the de facto ruler of, of I, I'm going to call it ancient France. It's not ancient, but, you know, France from this time period, you know, the, the 600 or let me look this up really quick. I want to make sure I get this right. Yeah. So he he was born uh, sometime around 688 and died in 741. So. This Charles Martel guy, he, he ended up getting the title, like the name, The Hammer, because he was just so badass. Like, he, was, uh, he was the de facto ruler of, of Francia, you know, like France, this whole area. They would have been kind of like uh, Germany and France when it was kind of squished together. Um, he was the grandfather to Charlemagne. He was just a ruthless, highly skilled warlord who used his position, they called him uh, mayor of the palace. Uh, in Lord of the Rings, you had the guy, he's not the king of Gondor. What is he? He was the steward. So this guy is kind of like a steward then, you know? Yeah. This is what the uh, um, mayor of the palace pretty much means. So this is what I took it to mean. So he would have been the steward of this area. He's not the king, but he, he you know, rules over He's the up there, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it was called Austria, 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 I don't know why I can't say this. Austria, Austria, I guess we call it. So he was like, um, he was kind of like the steward of Austria. <laughs> I don't know. 
I want to say Austra-Asia, but it's not that. But, uh, Austrasia. Austrasia. That sounds good. Austrasia. One, one of those, I could, I'll fit one of those into there. So yeah, he was, he was like the king of this region in all but the name. And he would use his success on the battlefield to spread Christianity. And he was kind of been given a bad, they tried to give him a bad name because he would take land, right? He would take all this land from all these other rulers and people, and he would kind of give it, they called it church land. It was like, this this land belonged to the church, right? But he would kind of give it to these people, uh, you know, as, as bargaining chips to ha- have them help work with him. Um, and it kind of gave him a bad name, but, but uh, yeah, he would use his success on the battlefield to spread Christianity. And, and nothing is really known of his first 26 years, um, and sources still can't explain his his the the profound success that he had, which makes me think like maybe he did have his fear, you know. Like could. they still don't know why he was so good at what he did, but he was good. Um, he suffered his only known defeat early in his military career, and it was pretty much like almost his first battle uh, to the the Phrygians, and they were kind of like um, a merc. I want to say they were kind of like a mercenary group. Uh, and and his his most you know his his biggest rival kind of hired these these Phrygians to to come and invade his city and they would put his city under siege right and they were like we're not leaving blah blah, blah and, until they were paid off right so they got this this vast amount of treasure and they left and they went back and Charles was like no we're not having this and he kind of gathered an army and then he would. He ambushed him, so he he kind of he gathered himself an army, and then he would ambush these Phrygians, um, and he would take back the the money that they stole, you know, all this treasure that they stole. So even though it was technically his first uh, defeat because they made it into the city or whatever, he ended up getting back what he had lost. Um, but yeah, Charles would go on to have you know many uh, military victories. The biggest at the Battle of Tours, where he is often credited with keeping Islam from stretching past the recently captured Spanish territory. So, you know, like Spain was pretty much under control of, I, I forget what they were. Um, I, want, I, want, I want to say Turks, but I don't think they were Turks. But they were they were Muslim, right? Yeah, they were overrun by the Muslims. Right. Uh, and, uh, and those Muslims were trying to make their way further up. And, you know, France is, is kind of connected to Spain. At one point, and they're trying to kind of inch their way through there, and they have this huge battle, and, and um, Charles stops them, and they're never able to, to to collect a foothold, you know. And that that was his biggest victory, and he he gains the name the Hammer, um, but he was rumored to have the spear. Not you know, I I couldn't find where he would have gotten it from. Uh, I didn't go too much into his history, you know. It's the this it. It would have been too boring. It's like it's just, oh, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, like the, you know, his father was this guy who ruled this area, blah blah blah. But um, they're pretty much he's pretty much the grandfather to, or he is the grandfather to Charlemagne. He's pretty much the grandfather to the Holy Roman Empire. Um, so yeah, the next one I have, and I don't have a whole lot of information on him, but was Charlemagne 
he's the first Holy Roman Emperor. He's said to have wielded the lance through 47 successful military campaigns. Um, and he was a grandson of, of, like I said, Charles Martel. And the spear would have been, I guess, would have been passed down from Charles to Charlemagne. Uh, and legend states that Charlemagne accidentally dropped the spear. And when it hit the ground, he fell dead right then and there. Yeah. That's really all I have. I mean... I don't know if you have anything to add. No, that's that's exactly what I got too, that's man. Really, what I got. really, it kind of cut short right at that point. There was like a couple other, you know, rumored uh, rulers who held the spear, but I didn't get too much into them. I'd also heard that at one point, um, it was either Genghis Khan or one of his, one of the like his son or his grandson, not one of his distant relatives. But one of the his immediate family members had the spear at one point, but then got rid of it because he didn't, you know, he it was Christian junk. He didn't believe in the, you know, the Christian right, God. which would have been the Mongol Empire, right. yeah, attacking. But yeah. I didn't see anything online about that. I don't know where I heard that, but I swear I had it. So, I mean, that's pretty much all I had. I just kind of wanted to. I had one more thing, um, just kind of like wanted to get into like where. Is the spear today? Like you said, the Vienna spear was like debunked or something. Kind of, yeah. They 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 did a lot of research on it. They were actually given uh, the opportunity to remove the outer golden uh, layer of it, you know, which they they debunked and said that you know that uh, the, the carvings into the golden plate were no farther back than eighth century A.D. and um, they they were able to look at the metallurgy on the spear itself, and it doesn't go back to, you know, the time of Christ's death. Um, but they found some interesting things, not so much the nail, but in the underlayings around the nail, which they kind of left open-ended, you know, on this documentary that I watched, which was incredibly interesting. And, and I'll just throw it out there to you if you want to check in on that. That's uh, on um, the Smithsonian Channel. It's a show called Secrets. Uh, it's season two, episode five, and uh, it, it is quite interesting. Smithsonian. Yeah, I'm going to try to add a, a link to this in the show notes. Smithsonian. Sorry, I'm just writing this. No, down. that's cool, man. What did you say it was? Season it, two. Yeah, it's gonna it's it's gonna be it's called Secrets, and it's season two, episode five. Yeah, I'll see if I can find that. I think I tried. No, you I you can get that on your Paramount Plus app. Oh, that's cool. Secrets. God, I've seen so many of these shows. I've, I don't, and, oh, I think I, I have heard of it, but I haven't. I binge watch all those <laughs> you know show documentaries. So. Have you ever seen that show? Expedition Unknown. Yeah, man. Yeah, oh, I that's my it. favorite show. Yep, my yeah. all-time favorite show. Yeah, Tammy and I watch it frequently. I yeah. love that show. Yeah, definitely. Have you watched the new season? I have not yet. No, there's so much to watch. You know, it's like I get caught up in one thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So. That's my favorite show. Like, I make it a point to watch that show. Yeah. Like, I even reached out to Josh Gates to have him on, but that probably won't. No, happen. that's like yeah, that's <laughs> up there, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I once reached out to Ken Burns. Um, but they wanted me to pay for him. Come on, I was like, I don't oh think my so. gosh, yeah, like I have that kind of money, right? <laughs> but yeah, okay, I'll I'll try to put a the Smithsonian Channel. The show is called Secrets. It's episode two. 
or season two, episode five. I'll try to put that on there. But yeah, I don't think I watched any documentaries. Um, Smithsonian Channel, seek the show's called Secrets, uh, season two, episode five. Do you watch any other documentaries? I didn't watch any documentaries, so. Oh yeah, there's a lot of great ones on that that uh, Secrets there on the Smithsonian Channel. Uh, Blackbeard's a really great episode. Uh, mm. Wicked awesome to get into. Uh, so many. Um, the Holy Grail, Cup of Christ. Uh, I could go on and on. They just right. they cover all the bases, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, well, you listen to the show, so you probably might have heard this, but we had a guest on, and she she says she thinks she found something associated to Captain Kidd's treasure in Massachusetts, not far from here. Yeah, I always thought that was cool. Very interesting, but uh. But yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to get into um, where the spear is today. You know, is it one of these three spears? You know, it's not looking too good for the Vienna spear. The the one that's held in the Vatican, I don't think they've ever done any testing on, and they don't plan on it. And yeah, good luck with that. You'll, you'll right. Never, but they also crack don't claim <laughs> that it's the real one either. Oh, so okay. But, um. And then there was the one in Armenia, which I I don't know. I just want to believe that that's the one. But I also want to believe that the spear is just in a cave somewhere, you know. Who knows? Just waiting to be found. Like uh, like you have the those Dead Sea Scrolls. They were found quite recently within the last 60 years, you know, in this these caves in, in Qumran, you know, right outside of Jerusalem. Like maybe the spear is just in a cave, or I, I'm pretty sure it's illegal to excavate underneath the Temple Mount because uh, they're you know the it's like a a holy site for the 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 Islamic religion. I I think I think they built a temple where Muhammad ascended to heaven right on top of the mount, so that makes that a very very you know symbolic and religious location. As well as, you know, you have the Jewish religion, which it's, you know, obviously a very symbolic uh, religious location for them as well. And I, I'm pretty sure it's illegal to excavate within the temple itself. Right. As of now. So maybe the spear's in there, but... With whatever else. Who knows? I mean, if that's the case, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Knights Templar would have found it. Because they were, they were in there digging around, you know, oh, in yeah. the Crusades. Yeah, during the Crusades, yeah. So who knows, but uh, I also just wanted to talk really quick about like these these magical holy relics in themselves. I think the the idea of these relics is is very is just fascinating, and I just want them to be real. Like I want someone to just find something that has some sort of magical powers behind it. I'm sure we'll we'll never hear about it, but just like the idea of them existing is is really cool. I, I want one to be found, or I want to find one. <laughs> we need to get Indiana Jones on the case here, or, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. But I mean, it doesn't even have to be. It could be a holy relic from from who knows. There's religions, you know. Every continent has its own religion. Oh yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, that's the spirit destiny. When I when I suggested this topic, I actually thought it was something totally different. So I apologize for that. It was kind of like a, a history, more of a history trip than a than what I thought it was. But um, we had to cover it eventually. So yeah, I know 
I know coming up, if you made it this far, I'll let you in on a little secret. It's not a big secret or anything, but I know coming up, I have an interview with Tom Pollard again, who, who is the, he's the Mountaineer, you know, the award-winning cameraman from Everest. He also, after his first trip to Everest, and he, you know, they discovered the body of, of Mallory, you know, he, he, there was some issues went on, he said, um, and he kind of got sick of mountaineering or, or the, you know, the parts of it that we don't see. So he wanted to go do something else. And apparently he met this dude in Massachusetts who, who wanted to build a tiki raft and sail it from South America to Easter Island. And he took part in this trip and he's going to come on and we're going to talk about it. And it's going to be awesome. Uh, and I kind of wanted to jumpstart my, I want to do this every summer. I get into like, like Jaws and all these shark movies. I, I want to get, I, I put the, the feelers out for some crazy ass shark stories. I've heard some, and I've heard some really good ones. And I'm really hoping I get some. I remember I heard this one story where like these, I believe they were in the Navy because they were, it was the military and they're sailing these ships through the ocean, right? And there's this, Apparently, they all saw it. There's this huge shark, like a megalodon, and it's literally, it's coming at them, and it's jumping out of the water, and it's going back in, and it's just like, it's like in and out of the water, and it it swims right in between these two battleships, and everyone sees it go by, and it's literally a megalodon. And I want to get some stories like that. I probably won't, but maybe maybe I'll even look online for some, but... I want to do like my own shark week. I'm going to kick it off with Tom's, with his story. It was this tiki raft story. Um, so yeah, that's what we got coming up. Uh, I don't, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah. that'll, that'll be far out, man. That'll be a great, great podcast, man. Great, great episode. Yeah, Looking forward to hearing I mean, it. I mean, we can always, we can do, definitely do more. I know it was kind of a pain in the ass with this. We're using the old my old computer. It's definitely a pain in the ass to use. Um, we can, I'm telling you, Zoom. It's not that hard to use. Yeah, and uh, we could set up on that. And it's so much easier. It makes it a lot easier to to transfer over to. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's have Tammy teach me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all you you pretty much just download the app, and it it's quite simple. I'm sure she has it on her computer. Yeah, she probably does. A lot of people do like. Like with school and and doc, even doctor's appointments there over yeah. Zoom. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, like and I, uh, I I forget. I I looked up the numbers. Um, I looked up the numbers for the show, and they they have. I don't know if it's from the guests that I've had on recently, but they have dramatically increased. It's crazy, and I forget which country it is, but there's a country. I want to say it's Denmark. There's a country in Europe where it's just like. I don't know what's going on there, but they love almost canon. Apparently, <laughs> I don't know why. That's far. It's got to be uh, little Jimmy. Huh? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, I wish I could remember what country it is, but I mean, like it. I don't want to go on another rant about rating and reviewing, but like, if the people who are listening to the show would just rate and review it on iTunes, like we could just grow the show exponentially. Like it's just. It sounds so stupid. I say this all the time. It sounds so dumb that rating and reviewing, you know, could help at all. But, like, 
by rating and reviewing, it helps the show show up in, in, in the search fields, helps it pop up automatically within, you know, like Apple, uh, uh, podcasts. It kind of just shows up and makes it a lot easier to find. Um, as of now, you know, I have to tell people about the show. Um, I have to share it within, you know, my, my small social network on, on Facebook, but rating and reviewing will, it will just, it, it gives us such a boost. So, I mean, it really, really helps. So please, if you're out there, rate and review the show. I did order some stickers. They are coming in. Um, and I wanted to say, if you rate and review the show and send me your email, you get a hold of me somehow, I will send you for the first, I don't know, 50 ratings. I know I said this a while ago, but I didn't have the stickers then, but I got them now. For the first 50 ratings, if you rate the show and send me your email, I'll send you a free sticker. Um, you can do what you want with it. They're pretty cool. They're, they got the, you know, the, the exploding head symbol. Um... And it says Almost Canon Podcast underneath. So we got that to look forward to. I, I, just, I can't, I just can't uh, stress it enough. Rate and review the show. It's so important. It sounds so stupid. I hate harping about it. But it is highly important. Um, and it helps so much. So please rate and review the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I know it was at some times it might have got a little confusing. But I hope it was um, entertaining. And I do plan on covering more of these these holy relics. We've got the Holy Grail, obviously. we got to do that. Ark of the Covenant. Um, I mean, Holy Grail, that, that, they even say the Holy Grail could be in America. So We never know. That, yeah. one, that one will go crazy places. So you got the whole Oak Island connection and the Templars coming over here. Like, Oh, yeah. It could be anywhere. Who knows? Yeah, that one, that, that'll be a crazy episode. But I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, check it out. Go watch Silence of the Lambs. Go watch Outbreak. It's on Max. It's not HBO Max anymore. They just call it Max. Check it out. Let me know what you think. And that sounds almost canon to me. I just wanted to add that on there. Thank you.